All right, Daniel, we don't do a pod for a week and there's a lot to unpack. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, all right. I've survived January with no booze and decided I'd take up boozing again last night. So feeling a little delicate. How are you? I too had had a lively evening, so I am feeling slightly, slightly Very good. spacy, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but all right, welcome to we'll, Hungover we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. So we've got, we didn't talk about Forest. I guess we can do that in about 30 seconds because I don't, I'm not sure much was notable there, apart from the return of Jaden Sancho, which was nice to see. I think what I liked about Forest was it wasn't going that well. They were playing okay. And then after an hour, it was like, all right, then here's Sancho, Martial, and Rashford. Yeah. And the ability, suddenly we have all these attacking options. And the ability to do that, to completely change the type of player that the defence has got used to playing against, is, yeah, I mean, that we haven't had that for a long time. And I actually really, I've been thinking this for a while. I said to a friend in the week that I wondered if Sancho could maybe play instead of Bruno sometimes, or even play instead of Ericsson sometimes. Because right. what I like about Sancho is, what I don't like about him as a winger is he's not fast enough and he's not strong enough. And it's not quick. No. When you're dealing with when you're dealing with the flanks, you're generally dealing with ability to burst into space. And whereas in the middle, there's less space. So it's more about intelligence and feet. And he has yep. absolutely loads of both. And he's a good finisher. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'd seen him for Dortmund play centrally and thought he was good. And he, he looks like a number 10 who plays out wide. He likes to knit things together in a way that and I'm very sorry for the comparison before you send me pelters. A bit the way that Zindin Zidane done. He was he wasn't did. He was number ten. He played off the left and Sancho sort of got that air about him. I did I did wander after that game. He did twenty minutes central. Bruno went wide right, which I don't really like. Ten Hag seems to and talked about it afterwards. Uh, but I, I kind of thought Bruno could go deeper into the Ericsson role in those games where we actually just want to control the ball and attack and, and Fred doesn't quite give you that. And Sancho could play at ten. We'll we'll see whether I mean, there are options, right? And you yeah, could like do that Bruno if you want right, to. Putting Bruno on the right is more acceptable if you've got a decent alternative in his position. And I mean, it's only yeah. half an hour of one game, but I guess it was something that I thought might be possible before, and now I've seen it, and I think it's still possible. But putting yeah. Bruno on the right is more acceptable if you've got someone who can do something in his position. Whereas one of my biggest complaints about Bruno on the right is you're taking the best player in the team out of his best position. And right. that isn't particularly helpful. But if No, doing... I, I mean, and I kind of think it's more acceptable acceptable for him to be at number eight, which he has sort of played this season to some extent. It, you do take him away from the action a little bit. And he still is creating... He's still 50 chances created across all competitions, Bruno is, or more than 50. He's, I think he's only a couple behind Kevin De Bruyne, right? So he still creates more than anybody else in the team, even if Ericsson's got all the all the assists this season. Anyway, it's an option. that I thought that was a notable thing that came out of Forest, And then Palace, man, there's a lot to talk about in this one. I mean, a victory, which was more than we managed to get away at Palace like two weeks ago, or whatever it was. But there was a lot going on and more sort of refereeing controversy. And I, I'm not one for kind of conspiracy theories, but I don't half feel like there's a bit of payback for Rashford's goal against City going on. It doesn't seem like we get many decisions at the moment. Yeah, to look at that whole melee, and let's first of all say that 
much as Casemiro missing three games is a pain in the ass, the sight of the red shirts piling in did something very profound to my soul. It's just so great to see that again, where what someone gets into trouble and you've got all the team legging it from all corners of the pitch to say, right, then let's have it. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, to, to then, if you do what Casemiro did, then you can get sent off. But the angle that they showed on Match of the Day last night was not the angle that the referee saw. And yeah. he barely touched him at all. And Hardly at all. Yeah. It looks I mean, horrible even, in slow-mo, doesn't it? But but actually, when you see there's two other angles that were going around, and if you watch it real time, it's about a second and a half, maybe less. Uh, and then they ha- have a hug afterwards because yeah, he's like just, clearly stopping him getting into the fighting. And there's also that aspect of once it becomes violent conduct in a straight red, to miss... To get sent off in a game and miss another three games for that it's, is the punishment is, total, is wild for for yeah, that. I mean, I, I want. Yeah, I, I mean, then the, the problem is in the age of VAR, the chances of overturning it are pretty small because the referee's gone and seen it. The problem is he only saw because we see what he's seeing on the monitor, and VAR does have like twenty odd angles. He's only seen the monitor and he's only seen it in super slow mo, and it looks like it's aggressive and he's grabbing his neck. And when you look in real time. He it's clearly just, not. You know? just tickling him under the. It's just tickling. It's him just kind of holding him back from the gym. fighting. I, I, mean, I just, yeah. I did love Casemiro's innocent face. Also, <laughs> when when the rev comes back to him, he's just got one of those really excellent comic faces. I feel like he could do that kind of Rowan Atkinson thing. If if he if he proceeded if, different location. He's just got one of those Les Dawson and Ryan Atkinson extremely expressive, cute faces. But he he does seem to like having a little bit of time off every now and again. Yeah, I mean, I I think we noted previously he's he's been quite aggressive, more aggressive, I think, than in his Real Madrid days in the tackling. I guess he's doing more defensive work these days. And I, I the two I'm not saying the two things are connected necessarily, but he he Maybe has got a lot of the yellow cards and. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, and he's he's upped it a little bit, but I still think it was just so nothing. And then, of course, actually, Jordan Ayew threw a threw a hand into Fred's neck. It wasn't even like it was a full on swing. And so, if you want consistency, Ayew shouldn't have spent the last twenty minutes on the pitch either. It was uh, and, just uh, one of those things where there's a massive melee, but nothing actually happens, and you could easily just start the game again. Yeah. I don't think that if Casemiro had would have been had would not have been sent off, there would have been a massive inquisition about what went on there. Well, I don't know. There was a, I mean, four days of national wailing about Marcus Rashford's goal, which has led to, if you're conspiracy minded, probably two penalties being turned down the other night about Veghorst getting his shins almost decapitated in the and a handball. Yeah, the one against Palace also that came just afterwards. Exactly. Felt like and, some kind of a karmic payback, but not actually. And the foul on Ericsson that didn't even get a card. But, uh, but the thing is, is I think that, because I want to be really clear, like I, I don't think, like I'm not, I don't think there's <laughs> any kind of conspiracy against United. And what I think sometimes is that the aggravation of giving United a decision is something that if you're a referee, it would be impossible not to factor into your thinking. Even when, They're all when human. We were, when we were yeah, when we were good previously, you used to sometimes think that no like 
it was, I think it was a whole season more or less that went without getting a penalty at Old Trafford. And in just the same way that I'm absolutely certain there were refs who thought, I can't be fucked getting aggravation from Fergie, I'll just give that. That must have happened. I mean, because as we, referees are human and all humans have biases, I'm also certain that there were occasions when decisions weren't given because you just you don't want to be that ref that gives a soft penalty at Old Trafford because then you just have your integrity yeah. questioned and it's just not worth it. So Howard Webb talking to Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, I think, on one of the Sky Sports shows earlier this week, said that you can interpret the laws and say that Rashford's goal is perfectly fine against City. Right? And he said that. He said, then we probably won't see this one again because the game doesn't like it. And he was probed about who he meant by saying the game. And he was like, well, clubs and players. And he was being very studious to not say the media. But obviously, who made the fuss? Yeah, national broadcasters Howard was mostly is an interesting start to a sentence yeah but I, I, I always think <laughs> of, I always hear his name in my head said in Alan Green's accent I don't know why Howard I, I, I don't know why that is but um, <laughs> well, yeah I, I, that's, that's how I, I that's how I always think of him but nice. yeah he's he's come back to save us and the thing is if you I guess if you don't start from a position where you think VAR is going to get everything right then that perhaps makes it easier. But then if that is the case, then why have why have we really got it anyway? And right. I, I can't yeah, like I can't be asked to care about that Casemiro red card. I didn't think it was a red card, but as soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to send him off. But I think that it is a shame if you can't caress someone's chin without getting not allowed to play for three and a half games. That and Part of it maybe is the punishment, but also the, yeah, like it just felt like a real haphazard piece of decision-making because of everything that was going on in that melee, which wasn't very much, but everything that was going on, it felt like you only looked at that one thing on the fringes yeah. rather than... Well, seeing... clearly he did. Yeah, yeah that's, well... that's, that, that's what happened. So they've changed the rules because Webber's admitted they've changed the rules post-Rashford. And then that was completely inconsistent. And I know I'm sounding like, and I tweeted a few things, I don't actually think there's a conspiracy necessarily, like it's been planned. I think it's just a, a, a bias that happens to come in when you get that much noise, right? And they can't but hear that. I mean, if you're telling me that referees don't participate in any of the commentary that happens around the game, they don't view it back, they don't hear it back, they don't read the papers, they don't read anything, okay. But I don't believe that to be true. So, And I think it's cost United. And then you just... Look at the inconsistencies, and that's the thing that's most frustrating. I mean, Ericsson... Right, so eventually, eventually Carroll got sent off, but he did four filthy challenges in that game. <laughs> he was just looking. <laughs> and one of them's taking one of our best players out for three months. And he'll get a one-match ban, by the way, because it's two yellows. And Casemiro loses, misses three in a third games for a little tickle. And it, that's so... that and, and it could actually, in pure terms, if it costs United... A place, it's two and a half million pounds. If it costs United a Champions League place, it's 50 odd million pounds. And so these things really do matter. And we saw the impact of Casemiro being out against Arsenal. And he's now going to miss two Leeds games. And the I mean, Leeds game, are so. dreadful. Leeds are, it could be worse games for sure. But still, we given, given that Ericsson and McTominay are out at the moment, we're thin on resources in that part of the pitch. Yeah, although yeah. it's a, the good when he came on, actually. He looked all right, and yeah. He did, yeah. It, that, to me, seems like, I mean, it is unusual that United are able to do this, but something goes wrong 
and then they very quickly find what is probably the best possible solution in that he might not be someone that we would spend money on having permanently because he'd take up a place in the squad when you're trying to find money to spend on probably a player who's a level above him. But I'm sure he's better than McTominay. So perhaps he might be someone you might flog McTominay in the summer and get him. But what I like about him is I like the physical, I like the physical presence. I like the speed. And he's also a good passer. I mean, the, the, the beard, the goatee and ponytail combo, not so much. <laughs> and I mean, I know he's Austrian. No. I know he's Austrian, but my friend's grandma was Austrian. She didn't have that, so I don't see why there's any need for him to have it. If if only she'd tried harder, she could have got a bit of scruffy beard. But yeah. I thought it, he did it a was a really um, job when he came on. In, he uh, did. Yesterday. He did, and he's a good player. And I mean, anyone who said there was one fan account ran a poll saying, "Be honest, have you ever heard of?" Marcel Sabitzer, I mean, come on. Anyone who watches the Champions League will have seen him for Red Bull Leipzig. And he was, oh, I'll be Leipzig. And he was excellent. And he's a kind of all-rounder who is very physical, does put in the tackles, does get in the right positions, uses the ball well. He's not a really progressive passer. He's not going to get it forward in the same way Ericsson does. Uh, the data backs that up, but he's a good passer. He keeps the ball and he does the right things with it. And so he's a he's a good addition. He's he's not Casemiro and he's not Fred and he's not Ericsson, but he's got bits of bits of everything. It's not inconceivable that overall he would make him instead of Ericsson would make us a better team. I mean, I do think yesterday's game, for example, not was we missed Ericsson yesterday. We didn't really create. We dominated the dominated almost all of the first half. But we didn't really create very much, and the goal was a penalty that they really needn't have conceded. It wasn't one of those penalties that you force with relentless attacking invention, and that was concerning. I didn't think that Ten Hag got the subs right yesterday. I thought it took a while to do it when he had to change things. Yeah, yeah, so. they, they, it was okay at the end, like bringing Maguire and Lindelof on at the end. Actually, that's fine. Yeah, I do love a Maguire dying seconds armband grab. <laughs> one of my one of my, my favourite little things about watching United these days. When he came on in midweek against Forest, he didn't take it immediately, but he like snaffled it back at a corner. But yeah. it felt like the, the passing wasn't quite sharp enough and quick enough. And it was actually one of those games where I thought, I wonder if mate if having Sancho in the middle of the pitch would be helpful here because it's just that ability to conjure space out of nothing with, with footwork as opposed to with, uh-huh. With passing a movement, which is more Bruno's thing, felt like that might be helpful. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Fred in there is a challenge because he just he doesn't keep the ball or he doesn't use the ball in in the ways that Ericsson does. Finding the men between the lines and finding those progressive passes, creating the chances, and and that all does matter. And we're going to miss that for sure. He did, however, um, leg it from quite a long way away to get involved in that ruckus and I yeah. don't imagine... Yeah, well, that's Ericsson good. He's got energy. He's, he's, <laughs> he's got an engine on him, has Fred. Uh, especially when it comes to a bit of fighting. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. Was Anthony on the pitch at that stage? Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he looks also, like a man who yeah, was he, he, he precipitated the whole affair. He did. But yes. what I did think <laughs> in the first half was, and I hadn't thought this for years, it's not perfect, but it felt like we had a right flank in that game where Wan-Bissaka, the crossing still isn't good. But he was getting involved in field, taking up some decent positions and not just kind of canoe footing it wherever it's somewhere you didn't want it to be. And Anthony was also looking not 
not as lively as you'd like him to, but not unlively. I mean, got a lot of the ball, Anthony. Yeah, quite a lot of touches in his his 70-odd minutes on the pitch, and he's trying to do stuff. It's still inconsistent, isn't it? He didn't blaze 15 shots over, which is his thing that he likes to do so much, but he was involved quite a lot. He, he, I think I looked, I looked at the numbers, I don't think he succeeded with any of his dribbles, and that is a problem. It's really weird. I hadn't, obviously, hadn't seen much of him playing for Ajax, and I delve into the data and see how many times he carries the ball, and you're like, wow, he's averaging 13 times a game, right? He's taking on a lot of players. In the Dutch league, he just doesn't do it. Yeah, and maybe it's better defenders, maybe it's confidence. He doesn't seem like he's short on confidence, but he's not the player I thought we'd get. Uh, in fact, he's a player who kind of slows things down mostly, and you want him to like either move the ball very quickly or actually take a man on. So he's got work to do, but at least they, they were using him, weren't they? The ball was yeah, going a, to him, and it balances a, the attack out. He's a good player. How good he's going to be is going to depend on, as you say, like, the things that we didn't really expect him. Like, I didn't think he'd slow the game down either, as you say. And it's also finding the ability, find, like, finding the inclination to go on the outside a little bit more. He did that once or twice yesterday. And then, then you start to have a much better player. And it doesn't, it doesn't look... It, you can, we can watch him play and think, I can see how you could be a really good player. It's not... It won't be surprising if he becomes one, but he does have work to do in order to become one, I think. But yeah, again, like we don't create enough, and we keep we all found ourselves in a situation again where we almost we almost got caught. Yeah, and there've been a lot of games which, in the last few weeks since the World Cup, it's not been as much like that where we haven't been getting involved in as many tight games, and we've been winning games quite comfortably by a few goals. But again, yesterday they found themselves in that situation again. Yeah, I mean, note for Lissandro Martinez and Rafa Varane at the back. I mean, Martinez, who was just like a magnet to the ball, every block, tackle, header. He's he's some player, and he's he's just great to watch. He's he's I'm talking about competing and getting involved physically or get involved in anything and everything. And uh, I, I'm glad the chatter about his height has gone away because he's just a very good defender, and he was a big part of why United won yesterday. I thought. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like the kind of game they, where you can watch that and think they might not have seen that out if it wasn't for Might not have done. But he, he, is, he was yeah. still on the pitch when the double trouble of Lindelof and Maguire came on. But, I, you know, I didn't panic because I knew at least <laughs> at least we had the security there playing four central defenders. <laughs> yeah, he he's just, he's just good at pretty much everything you want him to be good at as a centre-back. And he also just has that real, yeah, that real nastiness that it's impossible not to celebrate every time you see it. It's even somehow that appalling dyed hair and French crop he's got, it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe it looks good with jeans or something. Doing it. I, I mean, yeah, I'm enjoying it on someone else. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it myself, but maybe, maybe I should. I could shock my colleagues with Phil Neville. Isn't it, isn't it Phil Neville who started their awful streaks? Uh, maybe. With the streaks. I mean, I, I think... They, the streaks, streaks in footballers go go back a lot longer than Phil Neville, I guess. But yeah, he did have himself, and he also got into it when he went abroad. He got into like the shaving all the body hair abroad because that was what everyone else was doing. Lovely, Phil Neville and shaving body hair. At least he wasn't waxing like a seal. Yeah, yeah. Top stuff. We should talk about United's second goal, which was a thing of beauty. I didn't really catch it first time round. I was like, okay, it's tapping, but 
It's built up from the back. It's one-touch football. It goes from left to right to left again. And eventually it's Shaw that puts the ball in and, and it's a good finish by Rashford. But it's a great, it's just, it's pure Ten Hag, ten hag ball, isn't it? They've it's shown a lovely build-up. Yeah, they're, they're starting to, they've learned a bit of patience. That when when they when they had that love nice exchange around the box, where they could have just got frustrated because the kind of exchange around the box, the kind of thing that you would think would generally end in the person who gets put through actually being put through, but that didn't happen. And they quickly moved the ball on again, moved it on one more, and then scored. And seeing strikers score tap-ins is something that makes me very happy, much more so than seeing them do ridic- score ridiculous goals, really, because the ridic- you don't you don't win big trophies, really, with ridiculous goals. You win them with tap-ins. And that, seeing Rashford score a tap-in like that, having scored one quite recently before that, is that that's a change this season. That And it will be that that means he... It's, that's why he's scoring so many more goals. He's playing better, but also he's not relying on bangers. He's... Scoring from in front of the goal, scored did so yeah. against City, scored a header against West Ham, and those those are the goals that you need your strikers to be getting. And it doesn't even matter if you're a winger like Ronaldo when he was playing on the right and on the left, scored loads of tap-ins because he made his business to be in the right place. And yep. being in the right place is it's effort. It's making runs every time, so you make the same run or runs eight, nine, ten times in a game, and you might get one goal like that. And previously, right. no one was right. asked to do that. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. I mean, it's partly confidence, Rashford, and, and making the runs. But he's, And he's not running into blind alleys anymore when he's running with the ball. That's a confidence thing. But he's working with a new coach and a new Benny McCarthy, who's been working with the forwards as well, and combination of all of this. And yeah, he, he just looks like he's got... I can't remember how many he's got this season, but it's quite a lot. And he's obviously going to score a load of goals this season for him. Maybe his best ever season goal scoring wise, as long as he stays fit, which has historically been a question mark. But yeah, it's great, lovely goal from United and and Rashford in the right position. And then another word for Garnacho came on. I thought had an impact, and he he was less well, straight impactful. away. Straight away, yeah, he's less impactful in midweek against Forest. He, he didn't he didn't quite seem to work for him, but I thought, yeah. He clearly had an impact on this game. He just wants to. He wants to get things done. Like he, he does. Gets the yeah. ball, he comes in field if he wants to. He's not. He's totally unlimited by the constraints that you might have coming into a team like this, because he's just so confident in how good he is. But yeah, and it would make a difference. This would be a good quality, even if he wasn't as good as he thought he was. Just the ability to think that you're good and you can just come in and start doing your own thing which was really what helped cause that second goal, was yeah. him coming in field. Oh, it was him. Feet. He put the ball in, didn't he? Not Luke Shaw, yeah. So. No, Shaw crossed it for the finish, but it was Garnacho oh, who, yeah. He right. in the move, and he's come all the way across. He's basically sort of right centre by, by that point. Yeah. And he's just speeding up, speeding up the attack and moving the ball quickly, making right decisions. And that's one of the things I really like about him, is he makes yeah. good decisions. No, that's right. I think I mean, his game intelligence is really high. So much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, he's got some things that are inconsistent, of course, but I, I think the tools are all there. Speed, touch, ability to finish. Certainly youth level, we've seen it. Not quite as much at first team level yet. I've seen a nice goal against Fulham the other day, or a few weeks back before before the World Cup. But yeah, I like I like all the tools. I think he's going to be a really good player. They can keep his feet on the ground. Sounds like 
the the rumors coming out that they've agreed a contract to 2028, which is good, really good news because otherwise this would have dragged on. And so we want to keep him at the club for a long time. I mean, I hope they haven't put a release clause in there, which is one of the other things that was being talked about. It'd be very unusual. United ever done that. Never. I mean, that's that's why one of the reasons why they didn't do a deal for Haaland when he went to Dortmund. So the rumours go. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's I mean, I've heard that from someone I trust. I think that's true that they wanted something for him to be able to because he's just that rarity Harlan he's someone who can plot their own career yeah because he knows he knows that he's the best he knows he's good yeah but there's basically no club that wouldn't find him at any given time particularly if he can do something to make money comfortable for them <laughs> well quite yeah I, I do find it quite amusing that he's completely disrupted City's flow in attacking terms and he's he's still not scoring City goals quite as much I mean he's got a lot I mean, of goals I don't think it's just that. It's I not think, just that. I think there are lots of things going on with City that Guardiola maybe has lost himself in some kind of, I don't know, ball person's masturbation that I don't know, where he's just sort of become so obsessed with something, but he doesn't quite know what the obsession is with almost. Yeah. And he, I mean, he talked about it, about the game versus United. He said he'd been thinking about doing something really radical. You know how he has this inclination in big games to suddenly decide to put a full back in midfield and a forward in goal or whatever it is and play and no strikers. And, cut finally with no defensive midfielder. Yeah, that kind of thing. He just has this kind of aneurysm and decides to go do it. And he talked about it, which is unusual for him. But yeah, it is It is kind of sweet that Klopp and Guardiola are having a bit of a mare all at the same time. I, there's even chatter. I guess we'll get to it in the backers content, but there's a lot of chatter about amongst Liverpool fans online, which I admit is not a reliable source of information. Liverpool but, fans uh, online. Liverpool fans online, yeah. Use that as a yeah start to a sentence. But there's talk. There's more talk than I've heard before about maybe the end is coming for Klopp, which is sweet. Very sweet. Well, it's one of those... I mean, you see Klopp under pressure and you just think if this guy had been around at the same time as Fergie... Oh, it would have been good. It would have been he good. He would have had underpants on his head saying wibble in yeah. no time whatsoever. He's just He's a brilliant coach. Look, he's a brilliant coach. It's I'd have loved him to have become United manager rather than Ed Woodward screwing that one up. But he does react to pressure in not great way. And I think Fergie would have run rings around him, which would have been good to see. And I mean also you because with someone like him you get to that point where you have to either sack him, which would be ridiculous behaviour, or give him the money that he needs to rejuvenate the squad. Which yes. is also a lot of money because it feels like him and those players probably isn't working anymore. It is. So, well, it's not. The balance is... We so should go need... into this in more depth for backers. But yeah, no, I think you're right. He hasn't got the midfield he needs to be uh, to play clock ball anymore. Well, I mean, we don't have the midfield we need to play ten hog ball for a couple of months, but <laughs> we'll see. If Yeah, I mean, the thing about United now is also is if we just hung on against Palace and Arsenal... Which not very, not very big us. We would still, no, I know. We would still have a sniff of the title. We'd have been three points better off. What would it, that have looked very, very good? We'd have been well. We've played a game more than Arsenal, and we're eight. But points Arsenal behind. would be two points worse off as well. Yeah, Arsenal would be. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we would be just the six behind Arsenal. Which, given I'm still expecting them to wobble. They're one injury away from. I mean, they, uh, did, they really lost to Everton it. yesterday. They lost to Everton yesterday. <laughs> I mean, look, Arteta getting diced 
is perfect. It's been a very good weekend for results that have uh, gone a very good way. Not that, not that I'm a huge fan of Sean Dyche necessarily, but him doing that to Arsenal in his first game for Everton was quite good. One more thing on yesterday's game, actually. Yeah. I think one of my favourite things about that game was the way United played in injury time, where they basically, with a, a, a really good mix of aggression and composure, kept Palace away from the United end, more or less, kept the ball not in play. And that was... They, 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 managed, they managed that time really, really well, I thought. And that's not something that's always been the case, where they against Arsenal, obviously it's a different team, but against Arsenal, they weren't aggressive like that. They sat back and they invited pressure and backed themselves yes. to see it out. And they weren't able to. Whereas I think they'd have been better off trying against Arsenal. What they did yesterday is trying to get them forward still and try and keep the ball down the other end. Because I've yes. just been a bit more aggressive and a bit more composed rather than kind of thinking that panic defending will, will be enough yeah. to get you through the game. Even though it almost did get them through the Arsenal game, it wasn't totally unreasonable behaviour. And it, it probably should have got them through. It felt like that wasn't the smartest way of doing it. And I much preferred the way they went, they went about doing it yesterday. Yeah, I do get very nervous when a team retra- retreats very, very deep too early. Mourinho's just inviting something to happen, aren't you? It, it was interesting. I, th- I thought for five minutes against Palace after the red. It, they didn't handle it very well. Bruno went back into central defence out of central midfield. I think these habits of Anthony substitution should happen straight away, right? You don't need to go look at the pattern to to make that decision. And it took <laughs> Ten Hag a little while and it didn't settle down quickly enough. But after that, it was very good. After that first five minutes of like panic, I think United were very, very good after that. And it, look, it's a sign of a maturing team. I, I, I like... It's look. So apparently, the players think Ten Hag's a real deal. I didn't like the story that was going around that the Glazers think Ten Hag is the real deal, and they think yes, he's a real yeah. deal so much that they'd be prepared to delay the sale or just take a minority investment, probably from QSI or something like that, because they think that he may be so successfully inflates the value of the club. There's a whole string of thought I have there that like the Glazers only invest in the club or. They only allowed to, the club to invest its own money when United are failing, and now they've they think the cash cow may be back. We'll see how true that is. I'm still betting that the sale to American private equity is the most likely route out of this. I mean, I agree but, though. Uh, I was troubled by that. The hang on a sec, United are good again. Why would we sell United now? Like you hang on for one more year and might get a better number. I don't know that I'd like if they're really floating around this 6 to 7 billion number, they're not going to get a better number than that. Like we've got 12 years post IPO of zero growth in the asset price. The only the only reason United are trading at $21 now rather than the 12 to 13 that it has been for the last decade is because they've told the market that they're going to sell, so they've repriced in the goodwill factor, right? So or goodwill like the brand value the market has. And it's not because of some magic or Ten Hag or anything like that. So you've got a lot of history of ownership by the Glazers that tell you as a as a financial investor that this they are not good, right? And you won't get, unless they're prepared to give up majority ownership, which they are not, unless they're selling all of it, then you're not going to get people in charge. The only way they get minority investment is either a really dumb private equity firm who don't understand what the Glazers are as management. That just seems uh, unlikely. Take a small stake, which seems unlikely, or a nation state that wants to make a transition over. And there's been a lot of talk that QSI are looking to 
eventually, long term, back out of Paris Saint-Germain and get into the Premier League instead. And they might start with a 5 to 10% stake in a Premier League club. So clearly those talks have happened. I don't like that thought. I think a clean sale and new owners is, I mean, you know, better the devil you know, maybe, but it's hard It's hard to have worse owners, at least from a pure management perspective than Glazers, of course. There are worse owners, which could still happen. Anyway, so I didn't like some of that, that chat during the no, week. No, agreed. And United are a leaky sieve. It's all coming out. So it's like, And I check with some financial bonds I know to see if any of it's true. But yeah, still. Anyway, anyway, he's, he's the real deal, Ten Hag, which was the thought I started on. Yeah, yeah, and that was a nice thought. That was uh, a nice thought. Yeah, where it led wasn't so and great. And it is kind of interesting. I've been thinking about this a little bit, that you've got Guardiola and Klopp, who and just previously successful managers are kind of big personalities, and now you've got Ten Hag, Arteta, who who are not that, who are more kind of technocrats in a way. I mean, they obviously have like a lot of a lot of internal fire, but it does like there's not a lot of charisma there exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. If football becomes more systems based, if if the ability to inspire people will not be as important, if it becomes a less blood and thunder game and a more systems based game, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly, Ten Hag is a systems coach. I mean, he has a very clear view of what he wants out of United, and I, I think the players are are reacting to I that. Mean, and he believe does know, it, though. He does like he does talk about mentality all the time, a lot, that, all the that, time. But he like, he said it like really clearly after the Liverpool game that these are good players. It's not about the ability of the players; it's about the ability of the players to perform, basically. Yep. Because because they're good, and it is in the end about having the correct mentality. But the ability to inspire people to do mad things. I mean, as we've seen with Klopp and Liverpool is something that is very much based on personal magnetism in that particular environment. And yeah, I don't think Ten Hag has that kind of relationship with the players, but I do think the players trust him. Yeah. They want they want to do what he says and they can see that he's right. Yeah. yeah. How quickly it all it all turned around. Two games and then all totally changed after that. That's right. He's very he's pretty decisive. And he clearly knows what he wants and he's he's not burdened by reputation as we've seen with Harry Maguire despite the constant media chatter about Harry Maguire not being in the team and he's he, he's just been like very clear-eyed about what he wants he's I mean, not a big personality but I think he's warmed up he's he's warmed up he's not given those very perfunctory answers in the press conferences that he was no, at he the beginning well. he's, it's interesting yeah. to hear him speak he's got quite a dry sense of humour and he's not, and he, he's not ball. He doesn't talk bullshit, which I, which I like a lot. Yeah, he's just he doesn't have that enveloping, consuming magnetism or swag or whatever. Yeah, that thing with Klopp though kind of turns from him being him having a bit of an aura to when he's under pressure, looking like a drunk on a park bench and sounding like it sometimes as well. Which is nice that he kind of breaks down like that. It's perhaps the <laughs> one, one of flaw the more in his coaching. Yeah. <laughs> His propensity to internally combust. <laughs> it's great. Love it. Love it. So 
So I, I did want to like touch on the transfer window because it closed and and United. So I don't know what what do we give them a B plus for the transfer window? So it's it's not an A because we didn't spend any money. Because yeah, you can't like they. I thought they given given that there was no money to spend, they did a pretty all right job of finding the best freebies that they could. Yeah, I mean Van is um, obviously he's he's pretty average, but he he does he knits the forward play together okay. He does okay. He's not going to score a lot of goals. I mean Martial's injured again anyway. Just <laughs> unbelievable. Like the guy could injure himself sleeping. It's just I, it's so frustrating because you know that he's the kind of forward Ten Hag really wants a a number nine who's like multifunctional, can run into channels, got pace, can finish well. If he could just stay fit and be motivated which are the two things that he really is it would be magnificent but we are like chasing rainbows i think that is what people call magical thinking isn't it to think that martial could be all of those things at the same time so big course okay so i i think my instinct is it'll be a very good purchase and it was it was an emergency panic if you want to call it that but actually they apparently they came very quickly they, and which tells you that Murtar is doing a job and they're the new head of recruitment and analytics, two new people in place and have been in place for a while now. And they gave him a list of 10, after Ericsson gave him a list of, Ten Hag a list of 10 players who they identified, who they thought may be available. And they went down the list and they got some, and they've spent a bit, they've spent quite a bit of money on this loan, actually, surprisingly large. I think it's more than 5 million, but for six months. So, not the bargain, thing is, is like, but... I mean, that, it, it makes sense because they're thinking, you know, I should get top four here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. If you like, if you suddenly are an injury away from Fred, yeah, uh, that's not quite the same. But all of a sudden, you sign someone who is good and like yeah. to be fit, yeah, and not like not someone who gets injured. Then that is that. that you can see how why they signed. You can. See and I thought there's a load of nonsense punditry around it, which was basically people who don't watch any Bundesliga and don't know what they're talking about. I mean, he's he's been in and out of the Bayern side because they've got. Goretzka and, and Kimmich. They've got Musiala fabulous. And, well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like you wouldn't necessarily want him as the midfielder that we need to sign who is faster and stronger than Ericsson. You'd want the player, the next player, to be a, a level above him. Yeah, absolutely. But because you want you want the level of player like Kimmich. You want something of that sort. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah, you can see, yeah, he's. A, he, I mean, we've seen him play. He's a good player. He's a good player. He's a play. He was great at Leipzig, and so. he wants it physically yeah. and mentally. He wants yeah. it. And same with Vekos. That yeah, you're coming on loan, but in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, "I wouldn't mind this." In fact, not being alone actually. Yeah. He knows he That's knows right. that it's not happening for him at Bayern. The best he's ever going to be at Bayern is a squad player. He's 28. Whereas at United, it's a, it's a clean slate. So if you come in and you do something and you play really well, then because also Bayern have got Gravenberch as well. Who yes, they would not be playing, but, but, but they, they wouldn't let him go off, on yeah. loan anywhere, which means that they want him around for some reason or other. So yeah, he. Whereas if if he comes and does really well at United, then even if he can, he can even if he could earn himself a contract. He wouldn't necessarily be the guy that starts all the big games if you sign someone else, but he'd get enough games to be happy and more games than he's getting at Bayern at the moment. Yeah. So Red anyway, de- decent is... decent work from United in the transfer window, given the restrictions placed on the club by well, cash mostly. Yeah, you can only have fr- you can only have freebies. 
Yeah, there's there's no cash in the kitty and the Glazers won't take any more equity out or converting equity into cash because they've never done that. And obviously couldn't borrow anymore. I didn't want to borrow anymore given the sale. And and, and like there was a lot to talk about United being near the, the top of the financial play, fair, fair play window. It's called something different, profit and sustainability. I don't actually, I've done my back of the envelope calculations. Don't have them there quite yet it'll be probably two years time because of the way that it's well, especially under uefa rakes it's going to be 70 percent of squad cost in two three two three years time next year it'll be 90 percent 80 percent 70 percent so if we continue with the same level of spending and the same level of lack of sales it might be a problem but not yet plus i think they'll sell a few this this summer and if they get decent money for a youngster somewhere, that would be, that'd be I good. I mean, yeah, you could look at like Henderson, Maguire, McTominay. There's Wamsaka. money to be had there, yeah. yeah like, there's yeah. not 150 million there, but there might be 80 million quid there. Yeah. And now, and now, and now the youth team is functioning. Perhaps they'll make some sales. I mean, Chelsea and City have been very, very good at selling younger players for a well, lot yeah, of money. Well, yeah, presumably, like, presumably there isn't room in the squad for, for Ahmad and Palistri. Yeah. They both look like good players, but one of the, presumably you have to sell one of them in the summer. Yeah, because yeah, that's right. One of them. And the, and the way the amortisation works, which is the loophole Chelsea have been exploiting partially, is that you you book the cost over the lifetime of the contract, which is why Chelsea are giving out eight and a half year contracts. But when you sell a player, you get it all on the book straight away, which uh, which means they only need to send sell one forty million pound player a year in order to spend hundreds of millions. It's partially closed by UEFA next year. have restricted <laughs> it to five years, but they're like like. Anyway, that's a, that's a I mean, whole very that, boring chat, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it is kind of like, that's that's Todd Bowley's thing. I've spotted this loophole, so I'm going to do this for one yes. transfer window or two There, there is a windows. reason why for a, a hundred and odd years of football transfers that it hasn't worked like that. It's because it's a hell of a risk and presumably not all those players are going to work out. And some of them are going to be very hard to get off the books. And, and players will ask for improvements in contracts if they're brilliant, so... We'll we'll see how it works out. It's a big. I guess my play. guess would be that they think that Mudrick and Fernandez are brilliant players. Yeah, that were worth whatever money they were lucky enough to end up paying to have to get them. Yeah, like the rest of it's all a bit weird. But I do, it, yeah. it, like there's there's some sense to that. I mean, I I didn't see Enzo Fernandez in the World Cup and think this guy's definitely going to be one of the best midfield players in the world. I, I know that people who've seen more of him than that think that that's the case. So yep. it seems like a fair thing to posit. But I'm just saying, based on the evidence that I saw, I saw someone who might be good, who was quite good, who might be good. I didn't, I didn't think he was brilliant in the World Cup at all, or anything approaching, anything approximating to brilliant. I, I, I see the raw ingredients for a great player, but of course it's much more than that. Madrick, I mean, he's ele- you watch him for 10 minutes. You watch him for five minutes. He's absolutely electric. You watch him for 10 and you realise he doesn't do all the right things. And uh, a lot of the, the nerdier stats types are like, mm, we don't like this player quite as much as you think you like him. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll see how that one plays out. It'll be interesting. He's not definitely not the finished article. All right. I, I, I hate mean, the to thing bring this it, up, but... Because the thing about it with Chelsea is that I felt like if you're someone who thinks they're going to have options, then I felt like with Fernandez, why if he's someone who would surely have options in the summer, more options than Chelsea, so he could have just stayed with Benfica. I was surprised because the thing about Chelsea is they are offering London, which might be appealing, but you're offering Graham Potter. 
a manager who, I'm not saying that to take the piss out of Graham Potter. You've got a manager with no track record of success who's having an absolute shit of a time at the moment. Yeah. So either it's they risky. give him loads of time and it doesn't work, that's an option, or they fire him and get in someone completely different who you've got no idea who it might be, but also they might not be good either. You've got owners that don't know what they're doing. It just didn't seem like they were a club that someone of Enzo Fernandez's purported calibre would push that hard to join at this mo- at this moment. Yes, I agree. I mean, I presume that they had a chat with some of the elite of European football at the same time in order to create the auction and, and work out where he could get the best money. And it may well be that Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid have different ideas at the moment, given that they they would be the, the teams that would also be in the auction. And Real Madrid may be, may be lining up pay once again in the summer. We'll have that drama to talk about. All right, I, I was kind of debating whether we should talk about this, but I guess we ought to talk, at least touch briefly on, on Mason Greenwood, which is a really unpleasant topic, isn't it? So all charges dropped and United have launched an internal investigation, I guess, to decide whether they can fire him or not or what they should do there. I have to say Twitter turns into like one of the most toxic, horrible places when this kind of topic comes up and I find myself like having a lot of trouble participating in any of those conversations so I mean I don't know about you Dan but I couldn't see those pictures and hear that audio and unhear and unsee any of it whether he's guilty in a court or not so I could not unsee that and unhear well that's it isn't it the the first like courts have to start from a place of innocent till innocent till proven guilty and also the criminal case is like there's a high burden of proof it's uh, beyond reasonable doubt rather than civil cases which are on balanced probability so yep. that makes sense obviously for any civilized society but that doesn't mean that we're not able to draw our own conclusions from things that Quite. we see because our standard of proof doesn't have to be that high because it doesn't not a course so that's the first thing the second thing i want to say is we should always start from a position of believe women yeah and I'm not. I'm not saying, therefore, that I'm assuming all men are guilty or or innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty in a criminal court, but not necessarily in the court of my mind. As a man, yeah, you are more likely to be raped than to have someone than to be falsely accused of rape. Yep, there are hardly any false accusations of rape. And when I say believe women, I mean that if your wife, your mum, your daughter, your sister came to you and told you they'd been sexually assaulted in some way, you would not say, no, you haven't. Innocent until proven guilty. You would not say any of this fucking bullshit. Right, exactly. Because and if that's the case, then you need to accord that same that same respect to someone else's mum, sister, wife, daughter. Exactly. Very, very well put. And, and I find it... And I don't get involved with that. The people who push back in that manner that you've you framed out there i try not to get involved with because you can't convince them there's so there's no point and but unfortunately there are a lot of people like that and unfortunately united as a club are also pretty morally bankrupt i mean we brought ronaldo back you can't unread that affidavit yeah and i I think you have to actively decide not to do it or you just don't give a shit about women we have i think the ronaldo thing the ronaldo thing although like we can sit here and say it's complete bullshit. Like, what on earth are they doing? 
it doesn't follow him around in the way that it should. Yeah. So when United made that decision, it wouldn't have even, I'm absolutely certain, it wouldn't have even been something they discussed because it's not part of Ronaldo's narrative that he's also no. this. Or uh, and, well, look, if it had been an audio exists. recording, right, if he... If that was an audio recording of him reading out his affidavit, then I think it would do. And I think in in the same way that, and we should respect, even though she's been named, her right to privacy, right? In the same way that Mason Greenwood's girlfriend was driven to record him and just think about what happened before that for her to go do that and make that decision. Same way that now will follow Greenwood around because we've all heard it. And it's much more visceral than a lawyer written affidavit admitting to all your crimes. And and so, yes, they, they are perceived differently. But but United were happy to take Ronaldo without even a thought. And we, we know that Oli Solskjaer was a manager for a while. And I'm not saying, well, he shouldn't have ever been manager, although you can come to that conclusion because of what happened at Mulder. Go off and read it. There's super deep dives out there if you don't know that story. And Ten Hag, this is lighter, but still in the same ballpark, Ten Hag, like... Almost immediately defending Mark Overmars and saying he'd love to work with him again after what Overmars did. Again, different things, but still. It's the world you know, of football so because you have this football, ideal just don't of give a football. shit, apparently. Yeah, I think it's you get so consumed by the idea of the football. It's like Guardiola. Guardiola has political opinions. We know that because we know what he thinks about Catalonia. Yeah. But he sort of feels that you can put that good football is a moral standard of its own. And therefore, you can have other moral, the other moral aspects are subservient to that highest level of producing beautiful aesthetic football. Yep. And people become caught up in that. And as the fact that this stuff doesn't follow Ronaldo around is absolutely mind blowing. I, I actually wanted to write a piece, and I couldn't find anyone to let me write it. That about what our duty is as writers. So when you have these sketchy characters like Ronaldo, say, or whoever else, whoever it might be, how often do you refer to these things? Because I used to find that I'd be writing and it would, I, I found, like, how can I say, oh, Ronaldo smashed one in for 30 yards, what a brilliant player from this fine, from this fine young man or whatever. What, what, should, what should our standard be as writers to refer to these appalling things that people we're fetting as brilliant sportsmen do as well. Yeah. So should it be should it be in the in a, in the body of a piece, or should you hyperlink every time you put Cristiano Ronaldo's name there? You hyperlink to the to the, the you whatever it might be. Yes. To, to the Spiegel investigation. That because we shouldn't. I don't feel that you should be able to be this one person on the sports pitch, on sports field, where nothing that you've done makes any difference. I used right. to do it. I'd be writing about Alexander Zverev the whole time when I was live blogging, I live blog tennis. It's just like, okay, well, every time Zverev, I write about Zverev, I'm going to embed Tamani Cariol's pieces on the, on the Zverev domestic abuse art situation. Yeah. Just, I'm not going to say anything, but just every time I like Zverev's playing in the major... I'm going to say I'm just going to put I'm just going to put like I'm going to put the paper's own piece up there just because it needs to be there. Yes. Well, look, it's do, do we have a do we have a duty to give the full context all of the time, or is it implied? And I, I think I mean it's definitely a challenging one because most of the time, 
And I think media outlets would rather it be implied because it's boring to say the same thing over and over again. And, and there are legal consequences for doing that repeatedly. And it works the same in sport washing. It's not like Manchester City won 3-0 today. And by the way, let's talk about the Abu Dhabi regime's yeah. how, uh, decision how, how to often, wash their reputation yeah. through a football club, right? right. That context I, I, is not given. The more so. I think about that, the more I think that sports washing is not a good explanation of what this is about, actually, in that it has also drawn attention to these things. I'm definitely much better informed about what's going on, what's going on in, in, in Abu Dhabi than I was than I was before. Sure. But it's more feels like a jockeying for power and in, in its, and power is sort in its way the opposite of sports washing. No one's trying to wash anything. This is just like barefaced desire for power, proximity to capital, proximity to influence. And that's yep. that's very different sports washing because it, actually- it, it is different, yeah. And and but they're related. So um during the World Cup and I talked about this quite a lot online and obviously on the podcast we did and Someone called me out on it online and uh, they went a bit far, I thought, anyway, but basically said, hey, it's not fair that you call out Qatar for its practices if you don't call out into colonialism as well, which, okay, we've talked about that on this pod. And then he said, and you should talk about why the Premier League is effectively a sport washing project. And, and again, I think that was simplistic, but the Premier League is a soft power project. And it's also interesting because of the laissez-faire ownership rules around the Premier League is that it's not just a soft power project for England or Britain, but it is used like that by government around the world and embassies, but also for a whole bunch of other countries too, as we're seeing because <laughs> yeah. of the way the rules are set up. So, and and we've talked about how powerful football is. Anyway, but it, the, the power of football does something for countries, whether it's soft power or reputation washing or, or access or or the desire not to get obliterated by your neighbour, or for footballers to be this thing that's disassociated off the pitch from the thing that's on the pitch. And that's what that's what kind of been asked to do when Ronaldo's there or Ten Hag defends Mark over Mars, or we have Ryan Giggs in the director's box. See, I've written or one Ollie piece is about, manager. I've yeah. written one piece about Ten Hag and I wrote about Overmars because fuck it had to be said. And it was just after he tried to sign on out of it. Yeah, And again, also something, no one asked you to do that. You did yeah. not have to do that, which is it's funny that. And that's sometimes where you feel things can be telling somehow. So I'm going to guess an example that occurs to me is when, when Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party, I am politically aligned with Jeremy Corbyn on a lot of things, I think. I mean, I'm not aligned at all, I hope, with his intellect. Because that was that was a, a very different problem with him was just that he yep. lacked he lacked any of the skills to do any of the things he what he would want to do. But the thing, so when, when there was a lot of consternation among Jews when Jeremy Corbyn got this job, and mm-hmm. I was sort of inclined to wait and see. And the thing that made me say no was when he appointed Ken Livingston to oversee justice reform. Yeah, yeah, because you literally didn't have to do that. No one would have said. Why isn't Ken Livingston overseeing justice reform? Right. If you hadn't asked him to. And he is, yeah, he is one of the country's, one of British politics's most storied anti-Semites. Yes. And you absolutely did not need to do that. And you did it. And that made me realise when, yeah, when you do things when you don't have to, it just feels like a thing that really can, can be quite telling about 
an individual. Anyway, we digress. But back to Mason Greenwood. I think that I don't. I, th- I don't think he'll play for United again. I think that the manager will not want him to, and the play the players will not want him to because the the what the whole. I feel like it feels distasteful talking about this in these terms almost, but the impact that what happened with him had on the squad last season was, I believe, significant. Like, I've been, like, not, yes, I've heard that, that because, and that made sense. Like, someone who you think is all right, who you work with every day, suddenly turns out to be a monster. Yeah. That that is something that is very, that, that, that is something that can be troublesome. So I think that if you would somehow move away the moral issues, just football, footballing issues, I don't think that Ten Hag will want that in his dressing room. I don't think that other players will want that in the dressing room. So if you're making a decision and you're someone that doesn't have a moral compass, you'll be able to look at it through the prism of football and still say, actually, I don't think this is right. But I don't see any way that United, from economically, morally, any of these reasons could allow Mason Greenwood to play for them again. I, I'm absolutely yeah, certain. I mean, it's very difficult. They have to find a way of firing him, basically. Otherwise, they're going to profit off him. And that's a different question, but but pretty distasteful too. Because again, uh, United I, don't have to go by innocent until proven guilty in a court don't have of law to at all. beyond reasonable doubt. That's yep. that's not what has to happen here. Because Every player said, in the Premier League. The, we've all heard yeah. the recordings. We've all seen the stuff. Yeah. And... That by the standard of proof that United would need to would need to deploy, that would be enough. That yeah. is way beyond balance of probabilities. Way they, like they, they, so, every player in the Premier League has a, a template framework. So the clauses around bonuses and wages are different, but the template is the same, and it's governed by the negotiation with the PFA, and they all have the same morality clause. And United can almost certainly use that to fire him, and I think that's what they would do if if they decided to go down that route. They would have done that with Ronaldo if they hadn't agreed to mutually terminate the PR version of it. So they're probably looking for a way to do that. It's very hard at this point to then unsuspend him because you are going to be questioned and they'll be making these decisions, commercial, legal, political, reputational and football. And they all, they're all they all going to play into this. So, of course, online there's a whole bunch of United fans saying, get him back in the team straight away. Yeah, I mean, I think we are really very, very clear we about this. Yeah, if yeah. you want Mason Greenwood to play for Man United or any football team ever again, you're a wanker. I I, yeah. I, I can't make it clearer than that. No, no, I fully agree. And uh, I, no, I, fu- I fully agree. I don't want him. Brilliant player though he is. And I say that very carefully. I don't want him playing for United or playing football. We don't need that in the game. It's just, it's difficult to get there. There are a few steps that have to happen that to happen but i suspect that will in the end but united have a few things to to navigate because of course he has a contract and they're going to have to fire find a way of of firing him unfortunately like football will find find a way of employing him again probably it may not be in in england and and it came it brings me on to a thing that i wanted to talk about as well which was henry winter's fucking disgraceful article Goodness in the me. times Goodness it's behind gosh. a paywall, but you can find paywall-breaking websites out there if you don't want to pay to read this crap. But as usual, Winter, I mean, he, he does this sometimes. He gets on this, like, kind of some kind of thing he wants to he wants to talk about, and he's just incredibly pompous. Uh, when you do this, in... the desire to appear to be sincere when... Oh, when... God, I couldn't stand but, this. But it's an awful piece. And yeah. the reason you know is because you do sincerity so wrong. 
Yeah, that, that's right. It kind of suggests that, in fact, you're not that sincere. But yeah, the idea that he should just, well, just send him abroad then. Yeah. Oh, well, it was. Look, it, it just made me think of like the Mr. Chumley Warner sketch from the far show, you know? Yeah. Well, Mr. Chumley Warner, we can't have him raping our English women. Let's send him to Johnny Foreigner to do the raping. It's just, it was horrible. It was just awful tone. And then played, he suggested he this never other thing. For England again. And I know. What, it, uh, who like this? Not not the three lions. You can't disgrace the three lions in that man. It's just it's so far from what like. There's so many. This whole thing raises so many issues about football society, football and society. To be writing about whether or not he should be banned from ever playing for England again is just such a misread, miscalculation, not a misappraisal of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's, he's got it badly wrong, and it, it, it was yeah. He was tone deaf, and then his reaction to it, with people calling him out on it, was was awful too. You're just a disgraceful piece. Uh, and Henry, if you want to come on the pod and defend yourself, that's great. But uh, I wouldn't expect a warm reception. Anyway, the whole thing is awful. It's going to take a while to play out, and uh, it's yeah, it it would have been better all round to for the legal thing to play out to its fullest, but that's not going to happen now, and it doesn't happen in more than ninety nine percent of these cases, which says something about our society and our justice system as well. Got to do one of those daytime TV things and transition into the next topic now. Leads at the weekend. Double header against Leeds, lovely. Leeds and double awesome. header. <laughs> yeah, sounds kind of strange. Sound. Yeah, Leeds are fucking rubbish. They are. So Jesse Marsh has not made them good. Delight to say, yeah. I mean, he's in he's in trouble, March. I mean, the Leeds fans I know who have given up on him. Right, right. He's only just had a what a year in the job, something like yeah. that. So, I mean, the extremely measured. And erudite Rob Bagchi has had enough. And if he's had enough, I would say that if you're that enough, it's probably been had by many people just because he's an extremely thoughtful and measured individual. And he just, just he was just saying that they're less than the sum of their parts. And that right. is enough. He's had a chart, he's had his go, and he's rubbish. And they do they do not look a good team, but they do have some nice attackers. And they are one of those teams. It's very hard to see them getting anything out of a game with this United because United don't give much away at the back. And how how are Leeds keeping United out for ninety minutes? How are they not scoring at least twice in both of those games? You'd think so, though. No, Casemiro is going to disrupt the balance of United's midfield, assuming that United aren't going to appeal and don't going to yeah, appeal but then if one got- by then. If you've got a midfield of Sabitza, Fred and Bruno, there's a lot of energy there. And I would say that that'd be quite hard, hard, quite hard for Leeds to deal with, I think. They brought but, in Weston McKenney over the transfer window, didn't they? They're stuffing their midfield full of Americans, which I mean, he's a good I, I don't player. think he's quite like a Ten Hag going after Dutch players. So we'll play he's not a bad player. I mean, the idea that a player right. leaves, Juventus, leaves Juventus and goes to Leeds is part of football's sickness, really. Yeah, and, well, mean, yeah. And increasingly, I mean, it was the case before, and it's becoming more and more the case. This last transfer window has really emphasised this, that there already is a Super League, and it's the Premier League. 
that's funny that that is the PR line that the Super League committee came out with and pushed it out. But I mean, it's true. I mean, the all the spending, ninety percent of the 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 net spending is is with the Premier League, and and there's a real imbalance in financial resources. Hasn't quite translated into European success because Real Madrid can still spend. But but yeah, that's that's um, part of it, and it's also I mean the real reason is just Guardiola's inability to work out what to do in the Champions League. He's mastered well, that. He's basically mastered league football more or less. Yeah, but he hasn't mastered Champions League. He's marked because I guess the way that they play is percentages. It almost you'll have so much of the ball in so many of the games over the course of the league season. It's impossible for you to not win almost all the time, given the quality of players that you have. But you can't, it almost takes chance out of football. It takes the chaos out of football, Guardiola football. Yeah. And that is obviously quite, I mean, quite an impressive thing to do, given that football is inherently chaotic. It's not something I love that much, but it is impressive. And Champions League, you're not able to do that because you're playing high-octane games against elite-level teams, and you can't take the chaos so much out of those games. And the way that City have been beaten in the Champions League, not against Chelsea in the final, but... In a lot of the other games against Monaco, against Liverpool, against Tottenham, there was another one that I'd forgotten about, but I just thought about it and I've forgotten about it in the time I've been talking. But their defeats in Europe have been chaotic in chaotic games yes. because you can't take the chaos out. And when you don't have players that respond well to chaos, which it doesn't, you have players that don't like chaos at all, then it's that that, is that, that stopped him mastering, mastering the Champions League. That and just the fact that he doesn't really seem to know that much about good defences. True. Which is part of it. That's how you take the chaos out, is you have defenders who pass, and yes. you can do that in the league, but then when you have defenders who don't defend... Games, it doesn't quite work, yeah. yeah. One-off games or two-legged games against teams with really good strikers, then it, can't, that, it won't always work, and it hasn't yeah. worked. Back back to, to Leeds, and, and McKenney, yeah, is a... I mean, he's he's okay... But but this, as you as you said, this transfer window like underlined that you can make more money at Leeds than you will at Juventus. Also, the Deloitte money rankings. I think was it ten of the top twenty or twenty of the top thirty were Premier League teams. That's going to keep increasing when you make more revenue as Nottingham Forest than most of the top teams in the top five leagues. There's something weird, very weird going on. But yeah. All, all the all the financial powers with the Premier League, and you can get a really shitty team like uh, Leeds or Nottingham Forest, who've bought thirty players this uh, this year, or in the last six months, in fact, which is pretty weird. Um, As we speak, by the way, Jack Greenish has just absolutely done Christian Romero into a red card, and I mean Romero is someone who's desperate to get sent off in every game he plays. He's got he's that bad booked, and he sort of put his leg out. And Greenwich has just like, absolutely swallow-dived over it. He's just completely hustled in there. And Romero uh, just had to be restrained. As we as we talk, it's like, what is there? A couple of minutes to go in that game. And Spurs are 1-0 up. So, anyway, Leeds. Yeah, United should beat them. Should do should beat them twice because they're rubbish. I do I do worry about that midfield because it doesn't function the same without Casemiro in there. I, I wonder whether Sabitzer comes straight in. I assume he does because he's not be fit. Him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it would be. He does use the ball well. And it makes it easier for Ten Half that, that he might have felt obliged to pick McTominay to give McTominay first go at that. And now he doesn't have to. It's not, yeah. it's probably not inconvenient that McTominay's injured at this point. That's right. All right. 
I don't know whether we need to preview it more than that. We've done over an hour and on this. It's a long chat. Some complex stuff going on this week. A couple of wins would be nice. We're, if, if City lose this, we're only three points behind. Oh, and, oh. and you look at those games against Arsenal and Palace where you threw it away late and go, oh, that, that, those three points really would have made a difference. I mean, it's too early for United to be champions, but giving it a real go would be nice as part of the development. Anyway, let's, let's hope a couple of wins this week leading up into the game against Barcelona. A busy period, really busy period for United. Thanks a lot, Dan. Everyone else, uh, backers, I guess we'll talk about what's going on in the Premier League this week. And everyone else will see you again in the midweek. Please. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. This is the back bit. We'll uh, we'll talk about. I guess we can talk about the the Premier League games. Dan and I have been talking about this. It's it's we should probably take a United topic on each week rather than just uh, reviewing the Premier League. But we'll do we'll do we'll do results at the moment and then think about a topic for next week. So kind of interesting this week though. Premier League. Arsenal getting diced and City. Well, uh, as we are recording this, we'll we'll live get the result in the the City Spurs game. It doesn't half make me think that if United had just hung on against Arsenal. And, Palace would be three points better off and we'd really be in a title race right now. Yeah, we're not massively worse than either of the two teams that will win the league. No. On on, on what we've seen, and our top level is definitely good enough to compete with those teams now. I just think, need to score a few more goals. I mean, we don't they're, score, they're yeah, flaws. That yeah. is it. We don't score I, enough goals. I mean, that, I've been there. convinced for a very long time that Arsenal will shit the bed uh, because they, they, they are, they're brilliant with their 11. There's no depth beyond that. None at all. They and they've never might. been under pressure. They still they still might shit the bed, but they might not have to shit the bed because City... like The thing that I had assumed at the beginning of the season when Arsenal started winning was that at some point City will go and win 11 or 12 games in a row or whatever, yeah. and that will burn Arsenal off. But it might get to a point where that, that might not be enough because yeah. for Arsenal to get away with losing to Everton because City lose to Tottenham... I mean, that's just, that's one of those things where things are really falling into place for Arsenal when, when things like that happen. United, United used to be like that in the 80s. Every time Liverpool, they were in the hunt for the title, every time Liverpool lost, United would lose. I remember there was a particular weekend where I think Liverpool lost to Stoke, who went, uh, who went down, and then United lost to Notts County. I think 83, 84 maybe, where you could always, they could always be relied upon to do that. But the thing about this City team is... They don't have that look. They don't look like they've got a 10, 10 win in a row kind of run in them. No, they don't. And and I can't quite put my finger on it. In the, in the way, I think it's fairly obvious what's gone wrong with Liverpool, especially in their central midfield and the, the changing dynamics up front. I can't quite put my finger on why it's not working for City. That was a preview of the backers bit. Each week we do 15 to 20 minutes on either a United topic or around the Premier League and Europe. If you'd like to hear more, it is patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod.